Well, this morning we're looking at uh, Luke chapter uh, 22, verses 1 to 13. And as I'm turning there in my own Bible, I just, I, I, I want to uh, think about the fact that we're moving towards Easter. We're moving towards the Passover. And this is a, a special high feast for the Jews. And so there's a lot of preparation every year that goes into the Passover and the preparation of the Passover. Um, I, I got to thinking about what are the kinds of things that you and I prepare for. Um, my wife said to me the other day, you know, your birthday's coming up. My birthday's not coming up until July. And she says, what are we going to do for your birthday? And we got to get something organized. And, and this is a big deal. And so we got to get the family together. I got to talk to the family. I got to, you know, see whether they can all come. Can they all get here? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? How, what are we going to do with all the kids? You know, we're going to have 11 grandkids by that time. And I'm sitting there going, you know, from a newborn to 24, right? Stephen, 24, will he be 25 by then? One or the other. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm excited about that and just trying to think about it. You know what happens when you start to prepare? The excitement starts to build. You're, you're looking forward to something. Isn't that right? And you start to prepare for it and you get together and, and you start thinking, wow, this is going to be great. We're going to get the family together. What about other things that we prepare for, we begin to anticipate? How about a, uh, a vocation? You know, if, you've, if you're going to get ready, I know most of us have already gotten ready for what we have already done. <laughs> but when you're young, you're thinking about, what am I going to do with my life? What, am, what kind of job? What do I need to prepare for it? And, you know, what kind of an education do I have to have? And you get off to college and you, and you try to think about, what do I need to prepare for? Or if you go to a technical training school, what is it that I like to do with my hands? How am I going to get this going, Where, who will hire me, where will I end up? It, 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 life's a journey, and there's a lot that goes into the preparation. What about a vacation, you know? I remember that Jan got mad at me at one point. I, I actually went back, I looked at my diary uh, for some reason this last week, one of my older diaries from when we lived in Germany, and I thought to myself, this week we're, we're in the States, then we're back in Germany, then we're in Africa, then I'm back in Germany, and then I'm off to England. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, there was maybe a week at the most in between those trips. I mean, I wasn't getting over jet lag before I was moving around. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, how did I manage that? I'm sitting there going. And one of the things that Jan said to me once was interesting. She said, this is terrible. This is terrible. The reason why this is terrible is that when we're on the move together, when we get someplace, I don't get to enjoy it because we didn't plan and prepare to go there. And now that we're there, I'm not able to figure out what do I want to do now that I'm here. And we're gone before I can find out what there was to do when we got there. And I thought, you know, that's true. It, it makes much more sense if you're going to have a vacation, if you could get at least a few months run up to it 
And then you say, well, this is what we're going to do, you know. So when we retired and came here, one of the things that we did is that we had to go visit missionaries. We had some, um, some free tickets, and I had to use them. And somebody from the agency had to go visit these missionaries. It was a shame that they lived in Hawaii. But we spent quite a bit of time figuring out what we were going to do when we went to Hawaii. And we had a great time. I remember we went out swimming with spinner dolphins. It was incredible, you know. But we spent time preparing ahead of time. And so when we got there, it was something special. And we enjoyed it. And we, we, we enjoyed seeing the big island and traveling around the volcanic rock and, and going to a coffee plantation. And I mean, it was just, it was fabulous. Discovered that the first missionaries to Hawaii that came to Hawaii, there was a church there on the island that was a big plaque in the church to the first missionaries. And guess what their name was? I didn't know this until I got there. The last name was Thurston. I went, whoa, look at that. <laughs> there are people in my family way back in the 18th century that were already missionaries way ahead of, way ahead of us. So, you know, I, I, I got excited. There, there's something about that, the preparation that goes into doing things. Sometimes you have to prepare for a meeting. The meeting that I prepared for for Thursday, I spent several months working on it, didn't I, sweetheart? Just, you know, I mean, it took a lot of work, and then they canceled it on me, and I'm sitting there going, oh, you know, <laughs> all this work to prepare for it is canceled. What about visitors coming to our house? You know, in Germany, if, if most Americans don't realize this because at least when I was growing up, in living in the States back in the 70s, we left our doors open all the time and people would just come knock and come through, you know, help themselves to stuff in the refrigerator and, and come sit down. It was just, you know, visitors were sort of a, a, people had an open house all the time. In Germany, you don't have open house. And if you're invited to somebody's house, it's a big deal. It's a big event. And so um, I, I'll never forget this. Birthdays, are greatly celebrated in Germany, see? Big deal. And uh, so these folks invited us to come to their house for a barbecue, and the Germans don't just do hamburgers. I mean, they get five, six, seven different kinds of meat, and they've got steaks and everything. I mean, they go all out. And then they have desserts. I mean, they have like seven or eight different kinds of desserts, you know. So they had the family and they invited us and we happened to have company at the time from the States. And so they said they're welcome to come. And these folks, you gotta remember, Germany is a pretty advanced country. I mean, it's pretty modern. I mean, think about the fact that if you want to drive a top-notch car, in the States, you buy a Mercedes or a BMW, which is made in Germany, you know? I mean, <laughs> think about that. These guys got so fed up with German food that they went to McDonald's and bought hamburgers to bring to a barbecue at somebody's house in, <laughs> in Germany that was celebrating their birthday. And I thought, you have no idea how you have offended these people. You have no idea. 
And, and I'm sitting there, you know, wanting to pull my hair out, trying to apologize for these guys and their insensitivity, not knowing what they're missing by eating McDonald's hamburgers compared to what these guys were cooking and getting full on cheap food when they spent hours preparing this wonderful birthday meal. And I thought, you know, sometimes we can, we can mess up when we don't prepare properly and when we don't appreciate things that people have prepared for us. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard to prepare for things that we don't know are coming, like a pandemic. And suddenly we're caught up what do we do because we were unprepared? Not all things go as planned, it seems, and yet we can be assured that God is in control. We can know that in the midst of grief and pain, that God is present to provide us with the faith that is necessary to see our way through. God is never unprepared. I, let me just put that out there, okay? God is not taken by surprise by anything that happens, and he is never unprepared for the things that he knows that are happening to us even right now. And that's why when we put our hope and our trust in him, that he will see us through whatever situation we're in to provide us with whatever comfort, encouragement, hope, and faith that is needed for us to be brought through to the other side. Now, I want you to understand that something happens. When everything goes well, we don't often know that we need faith in order to see us through. But it's when we're in our pain and in our struggles, that is when God shows up and provides us in our weakness with the strength of faith that we need to see us through to the other side. Uh, it just needs to be put right out there that faith and pain, faith and disappointment, faith and struggles go together. We overcome in faith, but if you haven't got something to overcome, then your faith doesn't seem to be active. But in the process of working through things that we have to overcome, praise God, God is there to provide us with the necessary faith to be victorious. Thank you. I got an amen. All right. We don't talk as much as the Galilee church, do we? Anyway, here we go. In chapter 22, verses 1 to 13, let's take a look at preparations, all right? Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is chapter 22, beginning at verse 1, reading through verse 13. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death. For they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. 
And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. And he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the multitude or uh, away from the crowd. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters, and you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room, prepare it there. And they departed and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, Father, I pray that you would add your blessing to this scripture reading today. I'm excited. There's three different kinds of preparation going on in this one passage. The first one is an interesting one to me. It's the the devil's preparation to defeat God by attacking Jesus. He is on the warpath, and he's already got the leaders. Now, I think this is fascinating here because in Luke, it's very clear who is responsible for what's going to happen concerning the death of Jesus. And it's not going to be the Jews as a people or as a whole. You can't come down. That's what uh, uh Hitler tried to say was the Jews were responsible for the death of Jesus and people bought into that and it caused great disturbance and turmoil in the world. And if you've been to concentration camps in Germany and seen where millions of these Jews were exterminated and and so forth, you can realize it's just a horrible, horrible thing. I got to the place where, I, you know, we'd have visitors come wanting to go to Dachau, and I couldn't go anymore. It just, it was horrible. And, and here, the devil enters into Judas. Now, what I find fascinating is that the disciples don't even notice it. Every other time when somebody is filled with demons, they throw themselves about, they're... they're showing it in some way that they're causing a disturbance. But here's somebody that has followed Jesus for three years and the devil goes inside him and nobody notices. Now, how that happens, I'm not too sure. If I read in in John where it says that he was greedy and he used to steal money and he was after finances, that was his idol, and he was looking for more money, maybe that was the way. I have no idea. All I know is that he goes to those who are conspiring to get to Jesus, but the crowds are for him and they're afraid of the people. Isn't that interesting? The leaders are afraid of the people, but 
here you've got Judas that is willing to show them a time when Jesus is alone or with just a few folks and he's going to betray him and hand him over where the people can't object. They're going to find a way around it. The devil is preparing a way. He's preparing an opportunity and he's going to go after Jesus and he's going to kill him. He's going to destroy the one who is the only one that he thinks would have any chance of defeating him. And throughout his life and career, we have seen that Jesus has overcome the devil in every situation that he meets where people believe in Jesus. Every person that comes to Jesus is healed, delivered, set free, forgiven, encouraged, strengthened, uplifted, Every time Jesus comes into a person's life, the answer is good. <laughs> you can't encounter Jesus and walk away defeated because when you encounter Jesus, you are set free from sin. You're set free from the power and the fear of death. You're set free for eternity. It's an incredible thing. So here's the devil trying to disrupt God's plan of salvation. And he's got the leaders of the Jews. He's now got one of Jesus' disciples. And now he's going to find a way to grab him when nobody's looking. And he's going to put him on trial. Got it. There is a preparation going in to this whole event that's going to lead up to the Passover. Passover being the time, if you remember, when the angel of death passed over those who had put the blood of a lamb on the door uh, lentil and posts of their homes. When they saw the blood, he passed over and saved the firstborn in every home that had the blood. However, in the rest of Egypt, the firstborn of every family, the firstborn son of every animal was destroyed by the angel of death. And to celebrate what God did to deliver them, that was the last straw. And they came out of the bondage of slavery of Egypt into the freedom of the promised land that God had promised to them. In order for that to happen, they celebrated the Passover when the angel of death passed over them. And it was a great celebration every year. And they would prepare it and they would go to Jerusalem, if at all possible, in order to prepare the Passover there to rejoice in God's saving a people out of slavery and bondage. And Jesus chooses exactly that time. The devil is fully aware of what's going on and he has his plan and he's preparing it and putting it into, uh, into motion. <laughs> Poor disciples. The disciples have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. They don't see what's happening in the spiritual realm. They don't understand the activity of the devil. They don't even understand the principles of what God is doing. They have forgotten that Jesus has told them that the Son of Man is going to have to be delivered up. He's going to be judged. He's going to die. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. He's told them 
clearly this is what's going to happen. And they're sitting there scratching their heads. What, is that a parable? What does that mean? They have no idea. So when he says to them, I want you to go and prepare the Passover meal, um, they're sitting there going, yeah, we're, okay, we're happy to do that. Where do you want us to do it? And if you notice, this is an interesting thing. Jesus tells them specifically, just go into the town. When you get there, you're going to see a guy coming towards you with a pitcher of water. He probably had it on his head or something, you know. And he says, you just follow him. When he goes into the house, you go ask the master of the house. Uh, tell him, the teacher, <laughs> doesn't even say he's a, he's a prophet. Just say the teacher has, has uh, need of a room to celebrate the Passover. And he'll show you a large upper room that's already furnished. Prepare it there. Reminds me of when Jesus was going to enter Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday, which was just a few days earlier. Remember, he said, you just go, you'll find this colt tied up, and you untie the colt. If they ask you, just say, the master has need of it, and it'll be fine. Remember that? It's the same kind of thing. Jesus tells them ahead of time, he says, we've got this thing all prepared. This tells me something about God as the, or Jesus as the prophet of God sees that this is not a mistake. This is not something that he's going into with his eyes closed. It's not something that's going to happen because God's taken by surprise. The whole thing is ordained by God, planned and prepared by God, down to the guy carrying the water pot. It's prepared. The room is ready. The owner of the house, who hasn't a clue what's going on, says, yes, come. Just like Jesus says. The disciples, all they see is, we're going to go have a meal together. We're going to celebrate the Passover in the way that Jewish families celebrate the Passover. This is fabulous. Let's, let's go do it. So they go down. They follow what Jesus says. They do what he says. They find the guy. They get in the upper room. They prepare the Passover. And Jesus is about to enter into the city and begin what we call the Passion. Now, this is probably the most exciting part of preparation. Because the Passover meal, the original Passover meal, is a type of Jesus. The beginning of this whole thing, the beginning of this, has to deal with the lamb that is slaughtered so that the blood will go on the doors and the angel of death will pass over. And it is the celebration of that event that Jesus comes as the Lamb of God into the meal so that his blood, which will be shed, will cause the angel of death to pass over everyone who puts their faith and trust in him. What an incredible thing. 
The timing is incredible. It's impeccable. It is important because it's the meal where Jesus is the lamb. It's the meal where Jesus is revealing himself, even though the disciples can't see behind the scenes, but it's the same thing being played over again. The devil is trying to destroy, but what the devil doesn't know is that this is going to be his death warrant. What he doesn't see is that God has prepared something beforehand that is far greater than anything the devil could even think about. We tend to say, let's give the devil room in our lives and let him do this and that. But I want to tell you, when Jesus comes into our lives, the devil has no power. The power of Jesus is greater than anything in this world. He has the power of life and death in his hands. And when he comes into that meal, he is aware of the, of the consequences of what's going to happen as a result. He knows that when he turns to Judas and says, you go do what you got to do, he knows what's going to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's going to happen when he's taken down before Pilate and before Herod and back to Pilate again. He knows what's going to happen. He is aware of the battle between good and evil, between the devil and between his father who is in heaven, and he is going to play it out in his own body in order for you and me to go free from the powers of sin and death. I take one look at this, and I'm going, God, you have prepared something that in the midst of the pain and the grief and the misunderstanding that the disciples have, their, their fog in which they live and they don't understand what's happening, this thing the devil thinks he prepared it, he's in for a surprise. If he had known what was going to happen, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. That's what Paul writes to us in, in Corinthians. And I take one look at that and I'm saying, my goodness, here, here, here we go. God has prepared something for you and for me far greater than we could have ever imagined. We don't have to live in a fog anymore. We can put our trust in Jesus at every point along the way. We don't have to sit down like the disciples and go, What's happening now? What's going on? We don't understand. We live in the time where we can look back and we can read it right here. Jesus was preparing a way for you and for me to enter into the presence of Almighty God and to live there forever. It doesn't begin when we die. It begins when we ask Jesus into our lives. The life that he brings is for here and now and will never end. And because it will never end, one day we may go to sleep or we may meet Jesus in the air. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I do know one thing. I will never taste death. If I go to sleep here and I wake up tomorrow morning in heaven, don't be afraid. <laughs> I'm going to be more alive then than I am now. 
the truth is that we can put our hope and our trust and our faith in Jesus without reservation, knowing that he has the best plan for you and me. And it may seem like we're in a struggle or in grief or in pain, but those are the moments when Jesus went through the same thing. His faith in his Father did not waver. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross and despised the chain. He went through it on purpose because he has you at the core of his heart. The place where we need to go to is that this faith needs to be revitalized in our lives. And if we've never experienced that kind of faith, then we need to get that faith today. And if we're looking at things and we've become too complacent with our spiritual lives, then we need to say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, renew me by the power of your Spirit. I'm asking you to bring revival to my heart. Renew my mind. Fill me with your presence. It's a simple prayer. Powerful results. God doesn't look for powerful prayers to bring little bits of nothing. He looks for open hearts that cry out to him where he can read the thoughts and intentions of what's going on inside of us and can see our anguish, our hurt, our need, our desperation, and then that's the prayer that he answers. We don't need hard hearts. We need hearts that are soft that Jesus responds to and strengthens us with his faith that we walk away and say, it's all because of Jesus. You may need to encounter Jesus this morning. Whether it's the first time or a renewed time, I know that I need him. And I, I, I fall into times where I think, oh my goodness, I've just become too hard and I, I need to change that about. And I need Jesus to soften my heart and fill me anew with his spirit. Lord Jesus, you see the situation that each one of us is in. You see our fears. You see the things that we are wrestling with. You see our hurts. You see our pains. But none of that takes you by surprise. If you were willing to go to such extreme lengths to prepare for the greatest salvation the world could have ever seen or imagined, if you've gone through all that trouble to prepare this and Jesus carries it out, how much more can we rely upon you in these days in our lives? Put our hope and our trust in you. So we ask, Lord Jesus, this morning that 
If someone's here with a hard heart, that you would make it soft. If people are here with pain, that you would meet with them. Strengthen them in their faith and in their resolve to walk with you, to know you, to grow with you. We ask it, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.